thank you for joining us today at LDI for episode 55 of Geezers of Gear. Today's episode is brought to you by Row Visual. Row Visual will present a full range of LED solutions like transparent LED, LED floor, and AV integration systems at this year's LDI show. Following the success of the black marble LED floor, Row Visual now expands this range with an interactive LED floor, the BM5i. Using advanced technology, the BM5i interactive panels are equipped with built-in infrared sensors. These sensors enable you to captivate the movements of persons or objects on the panel, translate this to matching content, and create a truly immersive experience. The BM5i panels have embedded optical sensors that detect a foot, hand, or really anything that you'd like to place on the interactive panels. High-resolution tracking on the BM5i floor with 100 sensors per panel and multi-tracking on small surfaces make the interactivity a powerful tool. Fast response time of 33 milliseconds and real-time communication to the content server make the experience unforgettable. The BM5i panels use a bright logic processor and two receiver cards per panel control the interactivity and display. Mix and match with standard BM5 panels is possible using the same receiver cards. Data access is easy, making linking to notch or your lighting controls a breeze. The control system for the BM5i constantly calibrates the floor surface to make sure it only reports back actual touches and neglects transients such as dirt, dust, chairs, or other foreign objects. Check it out at the row visual stand number 302 here at the LDI show. You missed it again. I missed it again. Henry misses it every time. He keeps trying to hit this music track, and he, he misses it every time. It's all good. Yeah. And I'm sitting here watching Steve, and he's like jamming. He's like he's it's all good. going side to side. I think the Jamaican in you is coming yeah, out right that, now, that buddy. never goes away. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, it's relief yeah, from the techno music you were listening to last oh. night. <laughs> So <laughs> we'll be back in jewel tonight, man. I'll be on that dance floor. You watch me. That's amazing. And we're going to talk about that too, by the way. So today in our little makeshift LDI studio, we have Mr. Steve Warren from Avolite. Oh, wow, guys. The guy guys, is, really the guy is as famous as there is a drinking buddy in, in these uh, trade shows <laughs> that we go to. It's hard to accept, but I do enjoy being there. <laughs> Steve, Steve is obviously someone that everyone in the industry, I think, knows by now and loves. And he's just a great guy and a lot of fun to be around. And we're super, super happy and thrilled that he took the time this morning. First day of the trade show, by the way. I know you probably have things that you could be doing instead of sitting here with knuckleheads like I'm us. I'm very happy to be sitting here with you, but I, I can't really believe that I accepted this invitation. It's I like can't the either. first thing in the morning on a, yeah. Yeah, on a Friday morning, but yeah. hey, we're here. Yeah. And you were out last night because we saw you. Yes, we, we yeah. did a bit. <laughs> yeah. So um, speaking of last night, so I want Steve to tell us a little bit about this splinter thing that they're doing because I understand about 42% of it and um some of it just kind of went over my head and uh we went and saw it last night henry and i 
and uh, was very cool. I mean, it's a very immersive experience where you're just a part of the music and a part of the visuals that are going on and you've got some control over it with your body movements and things that you're doing. Um, and we also got to see some secret things, which I don't think we're allowed to talk about. Uh, not completely, but a Yeah, we did see some Touched secret things that, uh, that looked fairly grand and uh, pretty Large amazing. secret things, exactly. <laughs> pretty amazing Avalite <laughs> secret things. Much. And um, I had actually not even seen some of your newer consoles that were out in well, the open that open, we could right. see. Yeah. So uh, even some of that was pretty interesting. But tell us a little bit about this Splinter thing first. Well, Splinter is really important to me. And, um, and it's a bit weird because having done LDI, every single LDI since it opened, I mean, there's 26 of them, that to not be on the show floor and be doing something separate was a really huge step for me um, and all of us. But it was so important to, to get enough space where we could show how things really get used rather than just showing the product, how things come together and how we actually right. they would be used and create some experiences. Yes, so you're in a warehouse in a really strange area of, yeah, like exactly. I thought I'd been to the seediest parts of <laughs> Vegas. We like seedy. And it's really not that seedy, but <laughs> no. there was no traffic, no cars around, yeah. so it was just a little sketchy, you know? Yeah. And, uh, but, but a really cool space. But the inside is cool. Perfect, hey, that's right. When you rock space. up to it, you're like, yeah, yeah this is the place. What, yeah. did, what did your Uber driver say? You want me to pick you up where? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, yeah, the Uber driver was yeah. like, what the hell are you doing out here? <laughs> yeah. But isn't it great to have enough space to, yeah, absolutely. to do everything you want? And, and well, that was one of those things I don't think you could have done at the show as much as I'm sure they would have been happy to take your money, but yes, it's well, just one of those things that, that would have been, been hard to do. entire year's global marketing budget gone in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. right. Yeah. Um, but really what it's about is, um, in a way, it's a sort of philosophical thing as well because I have to say, and we'll touch onto it when we talk about what you know, my sort of view of where the industry is going and, and where it's come from and where it's going because I've always been very obsessed about working together. Mm -hmm. um, and, I, and I've always put that down to the time I worked as a service engineer. Because I would arrive, you know, you'd arrive in the middle of a panic, um, they've flown you in somewhere, you've got to fix something. And very quickly, as a very young guy, I'd think, this is weird, I, I, I'm loving this, you know, wow, it's exciting, I'm here at Stevie Ray Vaughan and I've got a pass and fuck, yeah. it's so exciting, yeah. you know. Yeah. And then you go, oh, the sound people are not talking to anyone, it seems. The lighting people are the video people. And nobody's talking to the video people. And, you know, so nobody's talking to each other. They're right. all doing their own thing. They're all putting on a production. I see it as one big production. But very quickly you realize, actually, this is sort of three departments. who are yeah, all compartmentalized, working in, par yeah. in parallel, you know. Um, and I would go and I'd be wanting to, you know, whatever, be, you know, talk to everyone or, well, you know, sort, sort things out for, you know, be generous to everyone, let's say. And... And it really sort of stuck in my throat that there was this sort of division, it seemed. Um, and not say I'm trying to single-handedly change it, but I've really been um, aligned with the fact I think technology is bringing these different sectors together. It's sort of forcing it all into one stream. Right. Because we're now able to network and talk to each other and take uh, MIDI triggers from people and take sound yeah. feeds from people. And, and so this is a lot of what Splint is about, because as you come in, um, you're seeing a number of things. You're seeing huge projections sort of hallway um, then people realize or are told that this is not video, this is actually live generated. Everything you're watching is actually maths algorithms that are running and generating content. And then these content, the content is then being influenced and controlled by the sound that's in the environment. Right. And so you, it really is immersive because what's happening in your ears is happening in your eyes at the same time. And, 
and you're in it. You know, you're in that space and surrounded by it. Yeah, yeah, the hallway threw me a little bit last night. I mean, it was great because I could just imagine all the applications for that. But right. trying to wrap your head around how all that stuff was triggered, all the content was triggered, really didn't come to light until you walked into the next area right. of the venue. That's right. right. Yeah. And, then and it that was, was a little worry. Because, as, you know, people are a bit sort of nonplussed, right? Like, okay, yeah, stuff is moving. and But you're right, as it starts to unravel, the mm -hmm. story sort of unravels, doesn't yeah. it? Because when yeah. you go into the next exhibit and you start physically controlling it by the movement of your yeah. body, yeah. you think, oh, okay, the penny starts to drop. Yeah. Okay, I'm doing this. And, yeah. and again, it's that, that sort of link between people and technology and the different technologies working together. That's so exciting. Well, for me, it started to really work and, and I started to really get it when that crazy dude started dancing. Exactly. And, <laughs> yeah. and then I was like, I get it. I see what's going on here, you know, because, you know, I've seen like a lot of these interactive video things where they're using RF and, you know, where, where there's just a video image projected onto a floor at a sporting event or something mm -hmm. and kids walk up and they create splash that effects ripples, and stuff yeah. ripples in the yes, in the image so that's all really obvious stuff and it's very simple and and pretty basic um but it's also very clear you see what's happening in yours it's much more um subdued yeah. and much more you know it's something that you could see in a world-class club uh, in, you know, all kinds of different interactive displays right. and stuff. It's and much I'm, more subtle. And I'm glad you raised raise that because that's a bit of an issue to me. I mean, having been in sales as well, you want to make things very clear for people. Mm -hmm. And so often, you know, I might be at a Glastonbury experience and I can think of a couple where you want to go to the people who are organizing it or friends of mine and say, look, you know, um, you're trying to tell a story here and the story is very clear to you because you've been working on this for the last year and you're totally engrossed in it. Yeah. But guess what? These kids are coming up or these people are coming up they're off their faces, they're dancing, the music's loud, they're looking, there's loads of girl, you know, girls yeah. and boys wearing hardly any clothes. They're, that's what's taking their attention. Yeah. They're not watching your story unfold yeah. on a projection screen or wrapped yeah, around right. something. Yeah, yeah. So you have to make, to me, uh, sometimes you, you need to not dumb it down, but make it a bit clearer. Yeah. And so the, when, I, when I looked at the installation yesterday as well, I was thinking the same thing. You think, well, how do you make it clearer to people? Because maybe in future, it'd be great to have a couple of really sort of arty, subtle things, but something that was a bit more straightforward mm -hmm. right in the beginning. But, but I think when you work with creatives, you know, and I suppose I'm not being a creative and I really respect the creatives. And so you, I have to put my feet on the floor and say, Steve, that's why they do what they yeah, do. Yeah. That, you know, they love that subtlety. But one of the amazing mystery. things, yeah, one of the amazing things to me was you're really not selling anything over there. So yeah. <laughs> what you're doing is you're selling the future. Like you're basically yeah. saying this is, this is our vision. This is where we're trying to take things. You exactly get it. Which is yeah. something that you could see Ford or Apple Computer or Motorola doing because they have massive marketing budgets. But for, you know, little old Avo lights and, yeah. and your partners in this endeavor to, to go out and just say, look at what we're thinking about. This is our dream yeah. of the future. And, you're and it's such a cool thing. And, you know, nobody tried to sell me anything while no. I was there. And well, the laser guys got a little bit heavy on me. <laughs> right, okay, but that, was, that wasn't us. <laughs> the, lasers, the laser guys got a little heavy. And it's another good know? point because, mm -hmm. you know, in many ways, I'm very twitchy about the fact that half of our product range or more than half of our product range isn't even there. Yeah, right. Yeah. Say, it's yeah. not a sales experience. The no, things that not. are there are there because they're part of the experience. Yeah, and it's really cool that you did that, and, and I appreciate you doing it. And for those who are listening who are at the show, um, how, do, how are people able to, like, get – do they need passes, or can you just kind of register when you get there? Officially, you need a pass. Yeah. Um, ideally, anyone who knows me, send me a, a Facebook message, a WhatsApp message, just and I'll send them back all the details. Yeah. But – 
I would say to anyone who's involved in, vis in the visual part of the industry or anyone who's involved in sound integration as well. You know, if you, all you want to do is uh, look at sound consoles, which are great, yeah. then it's not going to be very interesting for right, you anyway. Right. But if you're someone who's interested in the integration of all of the components or you're interested in visuals, that's lasers, uh, video, lights, then just rock up. Just rock up and say, I'm at LDI. This is what I'm into. And of course, we'll sign you in. Yeah. Well, and I know we're not trying to make this a product thing. And, and we're, you know, you were adamant about not making it an Ava Lights ad, uh, this podcast. And we don't want to. But I do want to say one more thing, which is when I was in the one room, sort of the last room before the laser room, and you had a media server connected to your console that was called a... Oh, in the very last room, the AI server, yes. AI yeah, server. but then the console AI. on the left, what, which console was that? Okay. Do you remember what it was? No. The quartz was the little one, I remember oh, that. Oh, we're talking about the room outside. Ah, oh, the sapphire, the big the sapphire. The sapphire, right, yeah. I thought yeah. you were talking about the secret room. Why? Well, I, I just not couldn't the tell you what the product no, was no, no, in the no. secret room. Not the secret room. <laughs> Even though we make consoles and dimmers, I could never yeah, guess what so. that product yeah, would yeah, be. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> yeah, well, I can tell you that having seen the secret room, if you get over there just to see that, I think you're going to be wildly impressed. But the non-secret room with the sapphire right um so i was listening to your guy and i don't know what his name is but uh very very informative guy and one of the points that he made which i thought was incredible was so far media servers and lighting consoles have been separate where basically the lighting console is triggering events in the media server and what you guys have done is you've basically merged them together so that, so. And, and so what I was seeing is I was seeing visuals that were moving seamlessly between LED screens, LED lighting fixtures, lasers, lasers yeah. you know, regular moving lights, yeah. um, all kinds of different stuff up on a wall and this seamless video going through it all. And I was blown away. I was yeah. like, holy, but the, the concept of actually merging the technologies as opposed to one triggering the other yeah, one. That's right. It's Nothing's a very leading different and following. View. Yeah, exactly. and very different views. Really I mean, that, that, that was, I mean, when you had the, definitely, when you had the LED product up, you know, you had the, yeah. so you had the LED screen, and then, of course, you had the luminaires themselves watching a video, you know, just, roll through it, and, and that was it cool. all mapped. That was it was cool. just, wow. Yeah. Really Still cool. It gives me goosebumps. And, yeah. and I think it's, there's sort of different elements that, that are particularly exciting to me. Um, one is, as you say, the seamlessness. It's not one leading the other. It's, there's no master-slave situation here. Right. It's a two are totally synergetic. Yeah. And as you say, the video content is rolling through whatever the fixture is. Um, and if there's any frustration, or there's not that much frustration, but if there's any frustration, it's the more fixtures types you put in there, yeah. the more it hits home. Because yeah. they all yeah. work in your eyes in a different way. So you might have those, like, those video... Uh, lighting blocks from GLP, the right. KMVs, and then you have the strips that we have, and you no, have lasers. Lights and Seeing lasers. video go yeah. through lasers like that was together. bizarre. Yeah. You know, I've just never seen anybody <laughs> use right. lasers as a pixel. Yeah. Right. Exactly. You know, in a, in a video screen, yeah. basically. So, you know, bravo on that. And and I actually heard your guy saying something which I hadn't really realized until now, which is that you are the only company who makes both a lighting yeah. console and a media, media server. server. Yeah. And so it makes perfect sense. Yeah. And, uh, and for me, that's like the big, you know, we're here in Vegas. To me, that's like putting everything you've got in your pocket on the black yeah. and rolling the wheel, you know, yeah. because to me, right back in the time when we brought the video into the company, it was a massive investment, the biggest investment we've ever done. Then we've continued to invest with, you know, all these uh, R&D people that we've got, right. the software people, coders, right, and all the time, feedback groups, all the rest of it, pumping yeah. money into that. Yeah. And so you really are spinning the wheel going, uh, it's going to land on black. And my landing on black is 
this thing about it all becoming visual is not going away. That's yeah. my mm -hmm. big bet. It goes into my, my feeling is it goes into one portal. The sound goes into your ears. The visuals goes into your eyes. It all goes into the same place. We got to make it work together. Well, that is a that is a trend, and I've heard both sides of it. So we interviewed a few days ago um, Nick from uh, Fireplay. I don't know if you know yes. Nick. But brilliant guy. Yes. And we've and done his, shows together. We've did his Timberlake whole... together. And oh, I, really? I knew Nick, I think, when he's out. I'd hate to admit I'm that old. Yeah. <laughs> I knew when he came out of college, I think. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, Nick's pretty young, isn't he? He is young. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh, you're very kind. Yeah. <laughs> Nick's pretty young, so you're not that old. Um, but Nick talked about that, basically. This isn't a separate business anymore. Mm. These are all, these are all uh, businesses that are working together very closely, and they need to communicate yeah. with each other. Like you said, the sound guy needs to talk to the lighting yeah. guy. The lighting guy That's needs right. to talk to the video guy. It's one show. And it's a very immersive show and it's a very big show that somebody's spending a lot of money on. Yes. And so I love what, what Nick has done. I love what you're doing with that's this right. uh, media server mixed work, in with it? the... And, uh, and that's when the hairs on your neck stand up, isn't it? Yeah. That's when the goosebumps it's cool. come mm -hmm. in. When Somebody it's gets all it. working together. Yeah. Yeah. It's, the, it's the next evolution, right? right. It For really sure. is. So. And I'd, yeah, love it really to, is. I'd love to sit here and tell you that it was some technically driven dream and I could see that the networking was going to allow all this. And yeah. But that's not, man. It's, 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 it's my hippie thing. Yeah. <laughs> I just like, I like being with people. I like when we all get on together. I like when yeah. we're in a bar together and we're vibing together. Well, you have that real club culture that. among so you just, too. Yeah. You, you have a, a very like clubby it. culture. And in automated lighting, in lighting controls, nightclubs drove a lot of this technology, yes, you know, right. into shows. So it, it's weird that most of this stuff came from clubs yeah. into shows, not the, not the reverse. Not the other way around. So and I think to me, the reason for that is that the clubs are so free. Um, free in the, in the sense that when you put on a show, everyone is sort of knowing what it should look like. And there's an expectation from the production managers and the tour manager and the, whoever's, you know, paying the checks to start it all off. Um, whereas in a club, it seems much more about if the people are coming in and dancing and spending money at the bar, the guy who owns the club, he's happy. And the lighting guy's free to do a lot of what he wants to do. The sound guy can do a lot of what he wants to do. There's a lot more freedom to experiment. Right. Right. A lot fewer set lists in nightclubs there than there are. That's right. You makes just a lot make of it up sense. as you go along. You know? So I want, I want to talk about out. you a little bit, Steve. So um, I don't know, first of all, that a lot of people know your background, uh, both as, as a lighting person, but also just as a, as a person. So from what I understand, I think you were born in London and then you were actually raised in Jamaica. Yeah, that's right. I have to say, I feel uh, forever blessed about that. <laughs> forever yeah. grateful and blessed. Um, well, it's an incredible uh, uh, cultural... You know. It was, you know, and in a, in a sort of short sentence, I remember coming back to the UK, which was just before I was 14, um, and, you know, the kids there, whatever, you, know, you get a bit, little bit of racism and jiving. And mm -hmm. I had a much stronger accent then. I was a lot darker, you know, whatever. Yeah. You had a 14-year suntan. Yep. And, <laughs> exactly. And you had the accent. And I hadn't been grown It was obvious I hadn't grown up in England, you know. And so whatever, you know, everything was different about me. And I was at school way out, this, way out from the city. So I was at school in Surrey. Um, and in fact, the only other foreigners in that school were three Italian brothers, and they were so happy when I turned out. <laughs> <laughs> they were just, you know. uh, and so awesome. everyone's like, you know, not picking on me, but the girls were, oh, it was great. It was a mixed Catholic school. All the girls wanted to know about history, and they wanted to talk to you. Right. And it was like a joy, because it's yeah. in Jamaica. You were different. I was a really shy kid, man. Yeah. I really was. Um, and suddenly everyone's like, you know, the girls are really chatty and asking you stuff. And the guys would be asking you stupid questions like, what language do you speak over there? <laughs> and stuff like yeah. that. But one of the things they said is, they said, oh, did you come here on a banana boat? And I said, oh, no, my right? Goodness. Which was, you know, because we all have bananas from Jamaica. But yeah. I said, no, actually, I left on a banana boat. And that's the truth. Uh, um, basically, my, my father was uh, like doing little advertising stuff in the 60s. It was free and easy time. Meets my mother who had come over to Europe. 
And in fact, you were talking earlier about uh, Colin, the uncle Colin. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, Colin had been stationed in some few places in Europe. Um, he was then in Frankfurt. At one the Army one moment here, because first we have to uncle, tell people. Uncle Colin. <laughs> uncle Colin is actually yeah. Colin, Colin Powell, Powell, which which yeah. we just yeah. learned that well, he was your yeah. uncle, so or is your uncle. Yeah, he's a hero. Yeah, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's me, pretty unbelievable. Hero, yeah. Well, it's, it's pretty cool yeah, to have yeah, that in your family yeah, tree, yeah, you know. And I tell you, whatever, you know, there, there's been differences about the politics because we've got both sides of the politics yeah. in my family. And when he, when he went the way he did, um, I know my mum was pretty upset. And, and I think, well, whatever happened, you know, I, I like to think that, well, we had a moderate on a side that wasn't very mo that needed a bit of moderation. And so maybe yeah. he was brought a bit of moderation to that side and a bit of calm. So there are different pros and cons, and you can talk yeah. about that ad infinitum. Yeah. Um, but to me, the fact that he got a purple heart for pulling somebody out of a helicopter, I look at the picture of him on my wall, I've got a signed picture at home, and, yeah. and I look at him and I think, wow, whatever your politics are, would mm -hmm. I be able to go into and pull out a friend? Could I actually do that? Yeah. And, I, and so I think whatever you do as a that's human being, amazing. if you can do something that's really generous yeah. in the true sense, then that, does, yeah. you know, that gets my respect. Yeah. But, but Colin was stationed in Frankfurt. Um, my mum was very close with him as a cousin, so she, was, she wanted to go over. She saw him in a couple of places, and she traveled out there. So anyway, she was in London for a little while. I uh, went to Paris, ended up at some party with my dad in Paris. Um, my dad's a real dude. <laughs> Next thing you know, suddenly she's got me, and, you know, and then I'm born in London. And, and my dad said, Steve, it was rubbish. You know, we had no money. London was cold. You know, and then I realized she's got like three sisters back home and a mother in Jamaica. You know, if I, get, if I can get there with this kid, they'll probably look after the kid <laughs> and, and everything's good. It's exactly what happened. And then my mom says, yeah, your dad came over. He like was under a tree for six months drinking rum and carving. You know? <laughs> that's, that's how he went. But in the end, uh, he had a good great. business there and, and oh, life was very good. Yeah, he started an advertising business and, wow. and it went very well. And, and then I sort of try to sort of go through it quickly. It's funny. I think he did very well, very quickly being an advertising in the 60s when it was exploding. You know, the hotels were exploding. You know, wow, tourism, yeah, come fly with me boac and twa it was all happening yeah um so and he was right off the back of that you know going to hotels taking pictures of models you know yeah on the beach i mean he had the perfect life i tell that's you that's fantastic you know um so for a british guy who's yeah. freezing to death and yeah, you know right. he he inherited quite a nice Things life through your mother pretty well for yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right what was it that made them just decide Come to move back. back well i suppose this was where i was going to is that he ended up probably making more money than he expected um, but still being a sort of socialist and a liberal type person at heart. And so I remember when the family, one of the biggest parties we had, and we had a lot of parties. My dad loved to put on parties very regularly. There's a shock. Yeah. No, no, <laughs> I said, Dad, you trained me, man. Yeah, when he yeah, said, yeah. Steve, you're out all the time. I said, I was trained by the best. Man. Yeah. So I remember one of the biggest, I think the biggest party we ever had was when the Socialist Party got in in Jamaica, which he and all of his arty friends and the choreographers and the filmmakers and all the people he was hanging with had all voted for. We ended up fleeing them as refugees about five years later. Right. <laughs> Six years Jesus. later. They changed the whole tax system to such an extent. Um, they tried to change Jamaica from 40% employment to 100% employment and fund that through tax. And, and it, the Damn. country collapsed very quickly. Yep. Wow. And then you have rioting in the streets, places being burned down, people have houses being robbed. And suddenly you're allowed to leave the country with 50 US dollars per family. 50, you could, you could oh leave, you're allowed to leave. Yeah, you go, we're not stopping you, but you leave everything here. I didn't realize and that. And so we left as refugees and started again in England. What year know? What year was that? So that had to be early 70s. 76. 76. Yeah. Your family left with yeah. nothing. Yeah, um, and I, 
<clears throat> I think the truth is you smuggle out a little bit of money. Oh, yeah, cash. yeah, of course. Yeah. I remember my mum, oh man, I remember turning up in Miami. I was, you know, I say I was 13 years old, and my mum, she's paying for something in Miami, and she takes out this bill. Um, and she's on the counter and she takes out these dollar bills and then the first thing she does is like, oh, uh, excuse me, and she shakes off this powder off, off the bills <laughs> and there's all this powder coming off the bills and, and I look back at that and thought, man, that must have looked so crazy because what no it was kidding. was talcum powder. Oh. They, they were like oh, had taken a roll in, in, in Johnson's baby powder. Yeah. Oh they were God. hiding their money in rolls of cash stuffed into Johnson's baby powder. I thought that story was going somewhere completely. I look back and I think that shopkeeper must have been like, what the hell? Yeah, what's that? That's funny. But yeah, so, and then we started again. I have to say, you know, my father apologizes that. And he says, Steve, you know, keep your money in different places. Don't count on any government. They can let you down, da, da, da. Anything can happen, you know, put some in gold. Um, and, I'm, and I do have a little bit in Bitcoin, you know, just in case. But, um, <laughs> but the point is, um, yeah, he said uh, it was the best thing that happened to me. You know, to have been a 13-year-old kid in a house with a swimming pool and I had a motorbike. He was riding around the garden and motorbikes. And, you know, it was, life was great. Yeah. And I was just becoming a dick. You know, yeah. I look back and you think, you wanker. You, yeah. know, you are a horrible little kid at yeah. 13. You are turning into a horrible teenager. And if that had continued, you'd be an ass. And what happened is you came back to England with no money, sharing a tiny bedroom with a sheet between your two beds between you and your sister, and you realize that all you need is a bicycle, a girlfriend, and that's it, and some friends, yeah. and you can have a good life. You're yeah. having fun. You know? yeah. So that was great. So moving forward, I, I don't think that you actually went to any kind of technical uh, like theater school or anything no. like that. I think like most people our age, mm. you, you fell into that's right. the business, right? Well, I'm trying to run through that one. It was funny. I, I, I wanted to be an electrical dra uh, draftsman. And the closest thing I could get was um, they put me in working for a government department that had a training scheme. So I was doing electrical layouts for buildings like hospitals and schools and police oh. stations. But as a very, very junior, you know, their mm -hmm. training center. But that was sort of close to drafting as I could get. That was before CAD and everything, obviously. Right. Um, so I'm doing this drafting course. Um, I've got a government sort of uh, set out, you know, program of how I would be trained into that. And then a friend of mine who I'd um, known, whatever, he'd married a girl I knew in Jamaica. Um, he was now in the UK and I, I met up with him again. And, and he said, I said, what are you doing? And, you know, I told him what I was doing. I said, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm making these cannons. And you're like, what? And he said, yeah, they're, no, they're fiberglass cannons. Um, they have pyrotechnics. I didn't know what pyrotechnics was. Um, and they come out and when the drummer for ACDC died, um, they wanted to do a back in black tour mm -hmm. um, and they wanted to have a 21 gun salute. So these cannons would come out, these doors would open, the cannons would come out, they'd fire the pyro and they'd go back inside the, the right. enclosure. And so he was making the special effects for those enclosures. And I was like, wow, that's, that's amazing. You know, he said, I started a little company to do it. And I said, wow, that sounds so cool. And he said, yeah, we really need some help. We're, we're snowed under. I said, I'd love to come and help. He said, whoa, 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 we can't afford to pay you. You know, <laughs> we haven't got any money. I said, I'd, st I'd still be interested. He said, well, we'll feed you. You can sleep on my couch and we'll feed you. And I left my government job to, to sleep on with, his couch. With no money. He fed. Oh, it was wow. no money changing hands. Um, and we did that for about two years. How'd that um, conversation go with your dad? And, you know. <laughs> my dad's a my dad was out chase, chasing women and. <laughs> oh really? <laughs> he, he didn't mind he's so a much that story. you did that. I, my dad wasn't so interested in our oh, education. Oh, okay. My dad continued being a party guy. My dad's lovely. He plays guitar. He's he's had three he's just wives. Just a fun guy. Yeah. I, I have got enough fingers for the, the girlfriends or toes yeah. or anything. Yeah. Um, he's a fun guy. Yeah. Um, and he had a great life, you know. Um, 
But yeah, he's a whole story in himself. Yeah, and my dad yeah. lived a dream. But yeah, he just wasn't you know worried. He's like, do whatever you want, you know? And you know what's funny about those ACDC cannons is at one point, John Huddleston from Upstaging ended up with them in storage wow. in one of the Upstaging facilities. And I was trying to buy one because I lived on a golf course in, in South Florida and I wanted to point the cannon up the golf course, right? <laughs> let one go, right? In the backyard of my house. You know, it wouldn't be connected or no, anything, but, but still having a cannon. let them think about it. Yeah, yeah let them think right. about it while you're hitting that drive at, at my house, mm -hmm. you know, and you're going to break one of my windows. I've got a cannon pointed at you. You might want to think about that. Oh, I mean, but it, it didn't work out. I, I wasn't able to <laughs> buy it, but I tried real hard. Isn't that a crazy small world? Yeah, yeah, yeah it really is. It really is. So, um, but that was the start of it. And anyway, I was with them for two years. Um, that company, um, you know what? Uh, they went bankrupt, but it wasn't as simple as going bankrupt. They went on from the Cannons project, which made them some money. He came out with this great idea, and you won't believe this, but this is the truth. He came out with this great idea, uh, which was for a product called the Autoscan. And the Autoscan was a PAR 64 in a yoke with DC servo motors. I remember it. Right, yeah. It was, We're uh, old enough to remember wow. it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was so. a thing. It went out on the Gary, we, we, we did uh, one system, as far as I know, that went on the Gary Newman tour. And it was funny, we've just done the Gary Newman tour with Synergy as the beta oh, test for wow. Synergy. And it was the first pass I ever had in my life was for the Gary Newman tour, all when I was like 22 or 23 or something. Jesus. So it's to me, it's, it's, it's all you know more goosebump stuff. Yeah. Um, but so these these moving parkans, you know, I'm like, what are these? And he says, well, they're these things called Verilites, and, and people are using these. They're all these lights that move. So we're going to make this moving parkan. So okay, we try to make this, um, but there was no control desk. So then we decided to try and make our own control desk. And interestingly enough, I remember this really young kid came to help us from college in Birmingham, um, and to talk about the DC server technology and da da da, and how we're going to control it. And he was Wayne Howell, who went on okay. to become artistic oh, license yeah. and the wow. inventor of Artnet. You know, wow. so and he's still called close pal. I was in touch with him two days ago. You know, it's again, it's it's a lovely part of the industry, and I really encourage kids coming in, in, into industry saying, look, it's a massive industry. It's a billion billion dollar business, yeah. but it's also a very very small business it in is. some very strange way. The connection, like here now with the Canon, yeah, yeah, everyone is. Yeah. In the well, and we were sitting around last yeah. night talking yeah. some stories and both of us knew all the characters in each other's funny oh. stories, you know? So that's just how it goes. Yeah, I mean, that's so. what keeps people still in 2019 going to the round bar at the hard rock that's and right. sitting shoulder to shoulder with the same people they have been for 30 years, you know? So, and isn't uh, it great telling people, fun don't fall this. out with people, don't badmouth with people. If you haven't got something good to say, these are like things your grandmother would have said yeah. to you. But it's the truth. Yeah. You know, because you don't know where they're going to be working next. You don't yeah. know if you'll be working on a project next together. Yeah. And that's the fact. I yeah. swear that there's less than 300 people in this industry it when you does. really think about it, right? It's crazy. So, yeah. It I really don't is. know how that happens, you yeah. know? But the auto, the, the moving light thing was just, it wasn't sustainable with a company of three people. Mm -hmm. And we, and eventually we just couldn't keep it going. And so then what happened is he, I don't know how Avalites came to him or he came to Avalites, but Avalites were so desperate to get my friend, who was this engineer who had come up with this moving light concept. Um, they were so desperate to get him, they employed him and his wife. And then a few months later, we were doing that Michael Jackson, the Victory Tour, I think it was. Yeah. They had a huge order for equipment and they were snowed under. And I remember that my friend had put me forward and said, hey, here's this guy who's can, you know, he's good in the workshop and he studied electronics and everything. Maybe you should give him an interview. I went to Avalites on a Friday night um, for an interview. I was really excited because I could see what they're making. I think, wow, this looks so cool. And I sat up there with the managing director and that guy was a guy called Ian Wally and his nickname was Avo. 
and he was the kind of the Avo wow. that started wow. Avo Lights. I didn't know and that. Little side story: He was called Avo because he used to carry a big Avo Model 8 meter. Now, for the people who don't know, a multimeter these days is like a tiny little digital, looks like an MP3 player sure. with a stick on it, you know. But the old meters were like a huge Bakelite old radio with a mm. dial on the front. So he used to carry this big thing around with him all the time. So they called him Avo. And in hindsight, I look back and I thought, you're a smart guy because if everyone's unloading the truck in the morning. Mm -hmm. You want to make sure you're carrying a big electronic meter, which says, yeah. I don't do the truck. Right. <laughs> I yeah. do all the technical that's stuff. Pretty yeah, that's pretty good. And so, so Avo was giving me this interview, and, and here he was, and he just kept saying to me, like, are you sure you can solder? And I'm going, yeah, I can solder, and I've studied electronics to this level, and, and I can do wiring looms and stuff. And he went, but you're absolutely sure you can solder? I said, yeah, yeah, I solder really, really well. Yeah. And he went, and I'd tell him what all my other attributes, and a third time, you're really, kid, you're really 100% sure you I can solder. I really trust me. I That's can solder. Funny. And he said, can you start tomorrow? And that was it. And that was Saturday. I remember thinking, tomorrow's Saturday. Uh, yes. Yes, I can. And we worked Saturday and Sunday. And, and was, I just walked out of that building loving it. And so I was it goosebumps now. Was it a first paid gig? So you got paid this time. Yes. Now, right? Okay. Oh, man. The weekend work all the way through the weekend was fantastic. <laughs> so what was the console that you worked on? Was it, it was one of the QMs, right? Right. Um, it was the QM. That's right. And the QM was still so new. So was it the 50 no, or the 500? The QM500. The okay. QM500. So the, the, the um, sort of development of the consoles had gone like this. There was a console in the States called the Alderham. The Alderham consoles were the first big rock desks. Oh, yeah. so I would love to say it was us. And a lot of people think it was us. But I'll be really honest. The first big rock desk, to my knowledge, was the Alderham console built here in the States. Um, huge, great sea of faders. Um, then this British company, Avo, they were, we were building dimmers. So where Avo started is they were touring single packs of theater dimmers. Mm -hmm. And they were plugging them up every morning with all the separate, separate cables, TRS cables, rubber cables, plugging them all up every morning, um, getting really fed up with it. And obviously over drinks on the bus, they probably thought, hey, wouldn't it be great if we could wheel these in in a rack? And it had a patch on it so we could connect any output to any input. And what if we had a control patch? We could connect any signal to any dimmer. And they came up with the Avo rack, and that took wow. off. So, so Alderman were doing their consoles. We were doing Avo racks, and then very quickly we did a console called the 8100, which was an analog, um, no processing at all, but again a sea of faders. And you would use a pin matrix. You would mm -hmm. put in pins to connect output channels to your playbacks, and and they were really successful. And we did quite a few of those for a few years, maybe two or three years, and then the QM came out and. I'm going to try and put a timeline on it. I'd like to say the QM must have been 1982. Two. That's what yeah. I was going to say, yeah. 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 So, um, yeah, it was still pretty fresh when I started. I started there in spring of 84. Yeah. Wow. So, wow. 84. So still quite new and yeah and it was just all hands on deck it yeah. was great you know but you were always a technician in the early years you were you were not part of you not know the sales, sales team no or, not sales no. not management and, and, and i can't see you anywhere other than sales at this point that's the funny, thing i don't see it? you as a technician at all like i just don't <laughs> not that you're stupid you're a smart guy no. you know the technology very well <laughs> the truth is i'm stupid no, no. Um, no, the no. reason I went into sales, if I look, I, I, I had all the are books on Are you saying salespeople are stupid? No, no, no. <laughs> but they, they're not like the engineers. I used to, I remember I had this big book on electronics and I would really struggle. I'd be reading through it, thinking I want to get good at this. And I, it was like Greek, you know, I struggled and struggled with it. But I did keep on trying with it. And, and so basically I was in the workshop for about eight years. I was first building the stuff. They wouldn't let me test it because, you know, you're just building it. We have other people who are qualified to test it. And, and one of the things I tell younger people is, is don't wait for the 
don't wait to be offered the job. So often I hear my own staff tell me, they say, well, nobody's asked me to do that. Or, you know, yeah, I'd like to do that job, but, you know, they haven't offered it to me. Mm -hmm. Excuse me, can we swear? No, of course you can. Fuck, yeah. fuck waiting for a boom yeah. to offer it to you. Just start doing it. Yeah. You know, not in their face, not be rude, but just see what needs to be done and start doing it. Because in my experience, I was building circuit boards, and then you start getting to a point where sometimes you built more circuit boards than the test guy is test, tested. Yeah. So they're stacking up. So you think, you know what? I'll just test a few of these while, while you were sure. waiting. So then by the time we got to him, they're all pre-tested <laughs> because my work anyway. So if I've messed up some solder joints, I'd rather fix it myself. Or right. I've put in a chip the wrong way around. I'd rather find that myself than somebody else tell me about it. Right. So you'd fix your own work. And then after literally a few months, then I think, oh, we'll make you a test engineer then. Because, you know, and you sort of can force your own career just by just doing it without causing trouble. Don't go complaining to management. Just look for what needs to be done. How right. can I help? Fix Put your shit. hand up. Yeah, fix yeah. it. <laughs> Put your I hand help? up and fix yeah. shit. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so many people, it's funny, especially, you know, and I'm not going to pick on millennials because it's not worth it. And <laughs> They've there's been a picked lot on of really, enough. Anyway. They're no, smart in their own really way. They're super smart no, they're, and positive. There are amazing right. people born in that period of time. Totally. And I would never generalize totally. an entire population or, or you know, generation mm. of people. However... You know, there is an attitude of what's in it for me, you know, what can the company do for me as opposed to what what can I do for the company Mm -hmm. and, you know, country, company, you know, relationship, whatever, everybody's looking to get something as opposed to give something. Mm -hmm. And I think our generation being in our 50s, um, we are, we come from a place where, you know, we always raised our hand and looked around and said, what can I do? You just did it. Yeah. You, did you it. just did stuff. Yeah. I'm not talking about anyone here. I, I bet you're pretty much the same because, you know, mm-hmm. I have been hit by my mother. I've had my mother take oh, the belt to me. Yeah. I've lied to my mother and I've realized that's something you don't want to do twice. You know, yeah. you do not lie to your mother. No. You take the belt to you and you tell you yeah. about it. You know, so some things like, so that politeness, I think has helped that it's been ingrained from a, right. from an early thing. And I'm not, again, not saying anything that, oh, well, you know, and I think there is a response to me. There should be a responsibility in stu- schools to teach about recycling and good behavior. And if you go walk across a pedestrian crossing, then raise your hand and say thank you because it mm-hmm. makes the other person That's angry. Right. Well, yeah. unfortunately, in America, anyways, yeah, right. you know, schools are teaching a very different way right now. And, same and, you, same uh, in Europe. Yeah. It, it's sad, and I hope yeah. that it's. We were actually talking about this at breakfast this morning. Hopefully, it's cyclical, yeah. and you know yeah. we're going to come around to another cycle again where people teach, you know, give value, get value, as opposed to right. what's in it yeah. for me. But and, um, and if I could say one thing about the millennials, because you say okay, there's because there's plus, pluses and minuses in mm-hmm. each thing. Of I think course, some things they're not taught, some you know, and so you could say on some things they're really leading us, and mm-hmm. other things that we think oh you're not leading us, and you could take a leaf out of our yeah. book, and then you could look on the flip side at some of the older generation because I'm in the UK, which is in such a mess now. And I feel apologetic every time I meet someone much younger than myself because I want to go, hey, I didn't vote for that. Yeah. You know, those people yeah. voted yeah. for something that's going to affect your life, but they're going to be dead very soon. Yeah. And you're the ones who are going to be holding this the baby bag. for but, a long time. But your yeah. eyes and attitude yeah. are open, you know, as opposed yeah. to most older people yeah. like us. Yeah. You know, our, our attitudes are very closed and very, you know, this is how it should be because that's the way it's always been, yes. yeah. you know, and, but it's a much more progressive yeah. world now. We, we have changed yeah. and we need to accept that change for the most part. Other, yeah. It doesn't mean you mm. got to go too far though. And I think yeah. we've gone too far in so many ways, but back to mm. the most important stuff. So I know you left AVO at one point. Yes. You went on a sabbatical. You, yeah, you, I was, you know, because I almost feel like one of those Japanese workers who work for the corporation mm-hmm. when they come out of school and, and they're going to retire there. Yeah. And, and it's been a bit like that for Avalites. Um, but after about, um, I think I've been there about six years. Um, and basically, 
I don't know how the connection came with Verilite, um, but there, I became clear that they were looking for a, a service engineer, for somebody to fix things out on right. the road. And I remember going to the management of Averlite and saying, look, I've been building these things for six years. I love what I do here, but I've built a lot of them now. And I never see how they're used. I never get to go on the road and see how this stuff gets used. Right. And now I have this opportunity to go with Verilite. And Verilite said, oh, we're going to send you out at the beginning of every tour because that's when the problems happen. And, and you're going to fix all the stuff, you know. Sounds and get pretty it. exciting. Oh, sounds great. Yeah. You know? yeah. I was like, wow. And then, but you're not going to be away for too long, you know, because you're only there for a few days. Well, I guess they're up and running a first week. And I, I had a longtime girlfriend, became my wife. So, you know, that sounded ideal. Um, anyway, what happened is when I went to Verilite, you then quickly realized that the people who are on the tour are on the tour. That's that. There's that yeah, many right. bunks. They're there on the tour, and that's the people who actually go on the tour. And then they wait to see if they have a problem. Yeah. And then if there's any problem or something goes wrong, you get sent out there, fix it, and you come back. You know? Right. So most and sweep of the, time, the warehouse yeah, and that's wrap right. up cables. Most of the time, and, you're in yeah. a warehouse. So by then, I was like fixing that. You know, you're fixing things, then you run out of things to fix. I remember I got to the point, I was taking old multi cores from the top shelf that had been up there for years. I think, well, I don't know. Why are they up there? Oh, they, they, they're, they're, they may be faulty or they're intermittent. Oh, let's fucking let's get them down and yeah. try and fix them. And six months later, Avalide said, hey, I'll tell you what, Steve, you want to be doing service and go on jobs? You come back and, and start our service department. We didn't have a service, um, we didn't have a service engineer. It used to be done by people in R&D, and, and the people in R&D would love to go out on tour, get mm. mashed up, yeah. drink, yeah. and all the rest of it. And then we'd never see them for like weeks, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. and all the projects would stop. So then the, the owners thought, hey, if we can take this kid and we can tell him what to do, he goes out there and he comes back and gets on with the next job. And, and that's what I did for years. And I loved that job. That was one of the most exciting parts of the career, I have to say. So you were considered a boffin in the company. A little bit correct, at that right? time. And it was lovely. And to me, it was like a roller coaster because you were either on very highs or I don't want to say very lows, but you imagine the situation. I'm always carrying my passport, still carrying my passport these days um, because you would turn up at work and you don't know if you're going to mm -hmm. be going home that night or you're going out to suddenly you're in France on a job. Um, and I remember being in France on one job and hadn't even got to the bloody venue and they're saying, oh, we've got something in Germany. And you're like, um, <laughs> I haven't yeah, right. seen this one yet. Um, yeah. But um, what I'm saying is, is when I would arrive, what I notice is when the service engineer arrives to a, a venue and there's a problem, everybody knows about it by that stage. They're like, oh, there's a problem with the desk. Oh, even the girls in catering know. Everybody knows because there's nothing else to talk about. So you arrive and they think, hey, it's fixed. The guy's here. He's, mm -hmm. he's got his ticket. He's off the play and he's here. So it's done. Great. You know? But of course, to you, you haven't started. So you're, you're shitting yourself. <laughs> you know, right. Everyone thinks it's fixed, but it's not fixed. Um, and so you'd go from these very, very scared points. I'd be sitting on the plane trying to work out all the different scenarios scenarios of what happens if this doesn't fix it what happens if this doesn't fix it what are you going to do next if that doesn't fix it oh shit um so you'd come with like five or six possible scenarios you, you start you open the machine up start to get it fixed and either it all gets fixed way before the show and you're in mm -hmm. catering with everyone and you're meeting everyone and it's the greatest thing ever or the other scenario which is they've opened the doors and people are inside and now, you're sweating and your ass off right yeah. and you got you know, pieces of metal were around you, exactly. Oh, boy. Yeah. And, and yeah. I'm getting goosebumps again because there, there, are, there are not that many of those, but there were a few. Yeah. Um, the Frank Zappa one, I don't know if I can carry on. Yeah, that please, please. Point up to yeah. me, that Frank Zappa story, because I saw, yeah, you, we were talking, you mentioned it earlier, that we had, in fact, we'd bought tickets for that. We were so excited. I'm such a big Zappa This fan, is in like 89 you know? or something, right? Yes, that's yeah. right. I want to say it's Michael Keller's show. I, okay. I'm pretty sure it's Michael's. Um, and the funny thing was, there wasn't actually that much wrong. Um, it had an outboard screen. It had a gel jet output. So hang on, back up a bit. Changes. So you bought tickets to go to a show with your girlfriend, wife, That's right, whatever. girlfriend, yeah. Yeah, and you got a call mm -hmm. saying... Saying that, yeah, that's right. One of the desks, uh, the, out, the monitor output is not working. 
Um, it was a monitor, no, the monitor output and the gel jet output but, that controlled right. these color changes. The thing that amazed me about this story, though, was that you, you worked for Avo. I know. And Isn't you had crazy? desks on the tour. And you bought tickets for it, you know, because you were a huge fan. No, but that's amazing. Like, how many people do that? You know, in our industry today, even, where free tickets are almost unheard of, people are still lined up trying to find them, you know. And here you were in the 80s and you bought tickets for Frank Zappa. That was pretty impressive. I I, I look back and I think, to me, it's sort of so funny because I feel really blessed. I get invited to so much stuff and Mm -hmm, we go to so much stuff. My girlfriend loves to go to shows. We go to so many festivals and shows, sometimes three on a weekend. You know, I say even on the Sunday, I say, hey, you want to go to the, hey, we've just been invited to this other one. Uh, Girl, you know, you up for it? And we're like (laughs) broken on the sofa. It's like, yeah, let's do it. (laughs) That's awesome. I just love seeing the stuff being used. But back in in the day then, I was a really polite, quiet kid. (laughs) so you're you're probably yeah. having a couple pre-show beers or whatever and you're getting ready yeah. to go see frank yeah. as a fan ah. and you get a call almost no i was in the office and it was daytime they called us pretty early about lunchtime okay. okay and so we went there but the the the, the crazy thing is we were running these these color changes out of uh, this digital output everything mm-hmm. else on the console worked fine but the digital output never really been used before it was a really new thing um, that stopped now the truth is we could have just brought in a second console small console and run the color changes off another small console they weren't doing right. anything really complicated like they do now um, that would have been a really simple solution but anyway we thought we'd, fi- we'd fix it and so I went down with the guy yeah, who's can't now be my that business hard, right? partner exactly yeah, it can't be that I went hard. down with one of the, the really good technicians um, who's now I say a business partner rick salzito we went down anyway you can imagine it we start taking the thing apart and within like two hours nothing works yeah oh, we've completely Jesus. screwed the whole thing yeah. <laughs> you know you've taken Instead a small problem it, and made it, made it very it, large it's a large <laughs> yeah. problem absolutely yeah. and, and it really was in pieces again yeah. and the audience were in and i knew she was up she then by then she had turned up from work gone to the to the gig yeah and she was up in the i knew she was up in the whatever in the arena yeah. um but eventually, and I'd love to say we got it fixed, but actually we brought in another console and ran it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> the really? Second console. Um, it wasn't as awesome. The show was sort of ran fine, but and we fixed it, you know, for the the ongoing tour. But it wow. needed more time. Um, wow. But I suppose the high point was for me was that moment in life where the manager comes up and says, "Hey, Frank's really pissed now. What's going on?" Yeah. And for for someone who's been your hero for and you've got all his albums yeah. and you've listened to it, you now he's got arrows pointed at you. So yeah. I am holding up Frank Zappa. I, I mean, I just oh, wow, what shit. a moment! You know, yeah, that feeling of power, but shitting yourself at the same time. No kidding! <laughs> wow. But you had to feel pretty happy when the house lights yes. went down and your lights went up and or their yeah. lights went up with your console. Did and he thank you for being the hero after the show? No, it was, I never met him. I never met him. Are you kidding no, me? I, I don't know. You're right. Maybe I should hold that against him. But I think he was a pretty rough character. I respect him for that. Yeah. What I do remember is my girlfriend had brought, you know, some... some Beers, let's say, yeah. to calm me down in the show. Yeah. She'd come well prepared. Yeah, <laughs> so I remember good. going watching the show and just yeah. chilling out. Yeah, you know? good for you. It was an amazing show. Frank Zappa is really I, talented. I somehow don't believe that a Jamaican has beers to co- calm no, down well, for a show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's still not legalized in the yeah, side, of, our side of the world. So we don't talk about that stuff. We, we won't talk about that stuff. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're here in Las Vegas where it's fully legal, of course. So, so. Fast forward a couple of years, and in the early 90s, the, something happened. I don't know what happened in the company, but it was decided that there was going to be a management buyout. Yes, and the sort of timeline on that was we'd been so successful, and you know me, I talk very openly. And I sometimes get a bit nervous. I've got a microphone in front of me, and you think, oh, Steve, hey, come on, we're all friends, and, yeah. and we're in an industry of friends. Um, 
Because I'm convinced what happens is success is the, is the biggest danger to any company. It sure um, can be. Yep. You know, Verilite, heroes, lifetime heroes, you know, and whatever. I think just you, it's so careful to manage success, especially when it's extreme success. Mm -hmm. And for, in just talking back to us, we were doing 17 out of the top 20 grossing tours worldwide. And that's Jesus. everyone you can mention. That's Jackson, U2, Rolling Stones, Aerosmith, Tina Turner, all of it. Pink, you know, Collins. You can get very complacent. Absolutely. And, and you, just you can don't forget what got stuff. you there. Yeah. And, yeah. You, and you get, I think the management then got more wrapped up in arguing about what they should make next than actually right. getting on and making it. So in the meantime, Mr. Avo, nickname Avo, he decided he was getting out. He had sold it to a big corporation. They owned hundreds of companies. This was something like, I remember he had, one guy had half the shares and that was worth 635 million. Um, and this is back in 91. So that's, that's, a, huge well, that's a big So that's company. real money now. That was proper money, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So this company, massive corporation, ended up owning Avalites um, and they didn't really know what they had. They decided to go for the TV franchises um, and they decided this was non-core business and this was just a waste of their time and slowing them down. So what did we do about it? Oh, well, we'll just close it down and get rid of it or maybe sell it, but let's just get rid of it, close it down. And, and so then I'm, you know, I quickly got together with my partner and I said, hey, I met somebody a few weeks ago. Funny, I was at an audio dinner that I was taken to and I was taken because I had some of those uh, non-bear Jamaican things yeah, with me right, back, right. back in the day when you could right. fly with stuff like that before 9-11. Yeah. Before yeah. And I was in Germany and the guy was like, no, you're coming with me. I want to be with you at the end of the night. Yeah, you know? And funny. so you take me to this uh, sound uh, dinner for uh, distributors awards dinner for sound guys. And I met someone there who had helped a lot of companies restructure companies like Focusrite and Soundcraft and big companies now. And he's worked with some of the massive names now. Um, so he's like a financial guru. And I'd met this guy we got on really well and that was it we, you know so he went his way I went my way and then next thing I know five weeks later this corporation said hey we're closing you down and so I said to my you know one of the guys at work I said hey I met this guy maybe he can help give us some advice and and my first thought to be honest was to go to Verilite and see if somebody like them could buy us and employ us as directors you know right yeah because we didn't have any money you were just trying to save your job just, at that time yeah, you weren't necessarily thinking of I mean, buying it right it's hard to explain how emotional I feel about Avalites yeah. that first day that I tell you about when I walked out of the company and I walked away up the road from I thought wow man that was great I can't believe I work here I, I could cry now you know, yeah. I get all, all yeah. choked up wow That's so amazing. the fact that these motherfuckers are going to close it down yeah. you're like no you are not so, and it was really interesting because it's a nice small industry. I would go, you know, they, this company, what, what happened is um, I was going to go to Verilite, you know, and, and other companies like Meteor Lights and, and can you buy us and, mm -hmm. and save the company? Um, anyway, then we started talking and I speak to this advisor and he says, well, maybe you guys can buy it, management buyout. And I'm like, what the hell is that? How does that? I've heard the term, you know. Oh, well, you know, you raise money, you get other people to invest. I said, who's going to invest on it? You know, our products are old. We're not doing very well. We were doing great. We're making a fortune, but now we're not, you know. Um, and, I, and anyway, so he, he explains that you've got to get investors and you've got to sell those shares out at a good premium to get mm -hmm. the money. And that was, you know, pretty hard. But in the meantime, so then I made an offer for the company to, to the corporate. And then the corporate thought, hey, this and is you worth were, something. you were backed by someone yeah. Well, yeah, on so that yeah, offer. So yeah, an angel. To, yeah. to, that's right. We found some money, some people to invest, crazy enough to invest. Um, and the funny thing was, is once we'd put in an offer, the corporation thought, well, maybe we won't just close it down. Maybe we'll sell it. If these guys want to buy it, maybe somebody else wants right. to buy it. So then they started hawking it around. And the oh, funny thing God. was, 
that they would set up a meeting, and, and one of the companies we talked about earlier, you know, set up a meeting, and the girl on reception would call me and say, hey, Steve, you know, you know they're having a meeting here next Tuesday. <laughs> you know, oh, and we would go and see the, the people they were going to meet with before they had their meeting because they didn't realize what a small industry it was. Right. And everyone knew each other. So it was in, in, within five weeks the whole deal went through, but it was. But did on the and off. did the number get pushed up? The because number got of the other, exactly yeah. right. It pushed yeah. up to double what we started. Double, with. double, yeah. Jesus. But it was it was back in the day bastards. when it wasn't a massive number. But yeah, bastards, <laughs> bastards. <laughs> but it was we were really glad it all happened. And and it's funny. I went to so many people that, and people who are here now, and some people have massive companies in the industry now. And I was begging on my knees almost, you know. And they said, if you you know, five years after we bought it, it was doing really well. And they said, oh wow, really wish I'd invested with you. And I said, man, I was in your office on my knees begging yeah. for money, and you right. said it was a bad idea, you yeah. know. But you know, it's maybe like Bitcoin, maybe like anything else. Or people who invested in AOL back in the day. Yeah. Sure. It's so, how many partners do you have? Um, well, uh, sort of six altogether because they're at different levels. Um, I'm a 22% shareholder. My partner Rick's 22% shareholder. We've got a financial partner. And Rick was in the company as well. Rick was, was in the company. He was, an he was one of the MBO. That's right. right. He was uh, R&D director okay. at the time. The financial, the sort of financial manager. The guy that you met in. at the audio dinner? Uh, no, he never came in. Oh, the okay. funny thing was, he, he stayed out as an advisor, and I said to him, I said, hey, you know, we need some help, we need some advice, um, but I can't pay you, I don't even have a job. Yeah. But, if, but if we get the company, I can give you some shares. Yeah. And so he's got 6%. So when oh, you ask nice. shareholders, wow, everyone, nice. there are all these different amounts, because the main investor came in with 20%, another guy came in with 10 and one of the companies we'd worked with came in with three, so they're different. Yeah. But the main shareholders were the three of us who are working in the company regularly. We own more Who's than 50%. The, third percent, one? Uh, the financial, financial oh, right, controller. Right, right. She's quite in the background, like many financial people are. Yeah. You, you only get to know them when things are not ideal. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. Steve? So Rick and I. Exactly, <laughs> what have you done? Yeah, what have you yeah. done? Or why hasn't this guy paid us? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So, but Rick, I suppose Rick and Rick being the technical one in the past, um, but Rick was also very liked being in the back room. He doesn't mm -hmm. want to be out there. And yeah, you know, people ask loads of questions all the time. Right. So. Is Rick the guy that we met when we looked in the secret room last night? Uh, no, that's, uh, Rick is sort of semi-retired. He's taking a step back because okay. he skis a lot. And so oh. that person's been brought in, uh, Paul Wong, that person's been brought in to replace Rick. That was Rick's old job, oh, managing okay. director. Okay. So Great. I sort of didn't want to, you know, I love what I'm, I love what I'm doing there. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so, so what was, so you, you bought out the company, mm -hmm. right? And now you're sitting there going, okay, we better get cracking. Now what the do we do? The product development. So yeah. was that the Azure 2000 yeah, console wow, after that? No. Wow. Yeah. You see, you're young. You see, that's the thing. You lucky man. <laughs> uh, the Azure, if we roll it back a little further, um, they, we brought out a console called the Diamond One. Okay. And, and so again, sort of quickly going through it, what had happened is our QM was so popular. Everybody, I mean, everybody was using it. You know, okay. sort of the way the market's quite polarized now on the really upper-end mm -hmm. shows. Um, so we had this really popular console. Then another British company called Selco mm -hmm. thought we could bring out a console that's a bit cheaper. But the main difference was, and it still looked cool, it had all the wood and the leather and the mm -hmm. drawers and everything. But the main difference was it was really easy to use. Really, really easy to, to program. Now... I'm talking about back in the day when I would go to help people program, mm -hmm. a program would be there. And I remember once, you know, the guy's there with a bottle of wine and a, and a big bowl of weed, and that's mm -hmm. how he's gonna program his show. Yeah. So things yeah. needed to be fast and straightforward. Yeah. You know, people yeah. would be with a bottle of Jack Daniels and right, I'm gonna yeah. program my show. It's yeah. not like it is now, yeah. you know? So they made this really easy console to program and they took the market away from us pretty, pretty quickly. And that was the Selco that Gold. That was the Selco Gold, exactly right. right. Okay. And so when we came back, 
Um, and this all links around back to where we are here today and now because they had the Selco Gold. We bought the company and I said, Rick, right, we're gonna, we've got a really powerful theater console, but it's really complicated to use. But it's got this DMX output. We were the first people to be running DMX out of this, this theater console. But it had loads of functionality. I said, I'll tell you what, why don't we simplify it all, make it one touch record, Every fader could become a, a chase fader, which is one of Selco's big features. But the one-touch record was the feature. Mm -hmm. Just one button record, done. You know? And so we took that main feature with the DMX output, and we produced the Diamond One. And that right. console rocked. It yeah. just took off. You know? And it was great. And that was an industry innovation. You know, we were the first people to have a rock desk with digital output. Well, cool. and, the, and the Diamond was the top touring console for a while yes, until, we I believe, it. until the Hog came out, Absolutely right? smashing it. That's right. The yeah. hog, hog came out and really smashed into the market. Well, that was Amazing. just one of those one of those moments when yeah. the market changes, yeah. like Verilite when the first VL came That's out right. and then, you know, high-end when the IntelliBeam came right. out. There's these Beautiful moments in, in the industry. Yeah. yeah, That's right. Beautiful, well, leaps. Leap it's when you go from baby steps, steps to all of a sudden big jumps in technology. Right. And, yeah. you know, the big one, obviously, with the hog was we need, why does this thing have to take up, you know, a living room? Space. Yeah. Like, why can't it be smaller? Yeah. And, um, and the touchscreen was what did that, wasn't it? The yeah. fact that you could relabel buttons because they were virtual buttons. Yeah. Right. As soon as you could make virtual buttons and relabel them, you didn't need all you the space. You didn't need so many, yeah. right. So, right. And the hog was, I mean, and it's great. And I'll tell you what, one thing I'm dead proud of, we have competed and competed over the years. And I'm still such good friends with Nick Archdale. Yeah. And I saw Niels as well. Man. Yeah. And all the original Hog guys. They're great guys. And they are great guys. Yeah. Um, and the funny thing was, you know, like they talk about the guy who turned down the Beatles, you know? Yeah. And, you know, how does he sleep at night? I must feel like such a yeah. Um, Well, you could be pointing at a similar guy, you know? Yeah. I remember when the Hog guy said, hey, why don't we work together? Because we don't want to support this. You know, it's yeah. a lot of work. You guys have a sales network. Oh, and, wow. And, and that was a real moment in my life. We could have worked together and become one company. Um, but I felt I was so, and I feel so emotionally attached to Overlight yeah. that I felt that if we did that, we would never develop our own moving light capability. Okay. Yeah. We would never, we would always be an intensity controller type desk. So when the Hog desk. 2 came out, that had to be a bit of an oh fuck moment for you, right? Like, it, yeah. I, I think you probably went, okay, shit's about to change here and we're going to need to do something. Yes. Um, and yes, yes and no. Uh, two things happened. Because Verilite had already set a standard of moving lights running off a separate console and dimmers in mm -hmm. all intensity running off a different console, it wasn't such an upset of the Apple cart because oh, people see. were running very, on the big shows, very often running an AVO desk with a hog doing the moving lights. Okay. Like, just like the old Verilite model, but the Verilite was off and the hog was in. Right. But you were right. Very quickly, they started doing all of it. Yeah. And you're right. Things like, oh, wow, how are we going to deal with well, this? Well, I remember you know? uh, John Broderick used to use, a, I think it was a diamond uh, right. and a hog, and too. And a hog. It's great. And one of the reasons was because of the trigger speed on a hog being yeah. much slower than yeah. the Avo yeah, console. The yeah. Yeah, and he likes right. to do those da-da-da. <laughs> you know where the lights yeah. are, uh, are bang on and i'm an glad instrument. you said latency because mm -hmm. that, that, yeah. yeah. that was such a strength for us and that yeah. kept us and you're right it kept yeah, us relevant fast. for so yeah. long yeah. you know um in that and but as you say you know uh, i suppose accountants and dollars drive things yeah. and if you and people want to take control of everything jeff raffitz for example and bruce springsteen for many years running all the, the intensity channels off his off his avo desk and routing it through to the hog, and then in later years, routing it through
through to an MA, but still running the intensity channels because right. um, he had control. But as things move forward, move forward, move forward, it all ends up compressed on one desk. Well, and, it just doesn't we, make any no, sense anymore right. at some point, right? That's right. Yeah, you look around and go... And, why am I the only one doing it like this still? <laughs> you know? And I tell you, our lucky break there because the diamond had really turned the company around from a non-successful company to a company that was relevant again, making profit, growing, distribution growing, everything was looking good. Um, then the hog came out, as you say, and things were clearly changing and going to start going south again and what we're going to do. And we had a real um, eureka moment at that point. And, and I look back at that and think, wow, it's these, these small uh, instances in time that change your, your mm -hmm. entire life and your direction. Because we came up with the Sapphire and the, the Sapphire controller. What it, what it was like was this. We were making intensity controllers. Then my business partner who had worked in theater said, oh, I think we should, put, we should allow for a color scroller on the end of the dimmer. So when you select a dimmer channel, fader, mm -hmm. I'm going to allow you to press a button and that now controls the scroller that's on that dimmer channel. So we were gluing, digitally, conceptually gluing the color changer to the, to wow. the power can. And I said to him, whoa, Rick, that's a great idea. But what I notice is these guys are using these Italian moving lights, these Italian mirror lights that right. are coming out mm -hmm. everywhere and they're, they're using them as channels all across the desk and they're eating up channels left to right and they're really hard to use. You're having to use channel one and for color and channel two for color two on the next fixture and channel uh, 18 for the next me. channel. It's a nightmare. <laughs> a nightmare. So we just, you know, and he said, okay, yeah, we could do that. We could just extend it that you select a channel and you've got the fader for intensity and you'll have buttons to control all these other attributes. And that point changed our entire direction. That yeah. was, you know, when we, we made an intensity control desk that was easy to program, worked like an intensity control desk, but it controlled moving mirrors. So you were channel stacking, is yeah, basically that's what right. you were doing. That's wow, right. that's very cool. And, and the mirrors grew like crazy. The mm -hmm. you know, shows using moving mirrors and telebeams, as you say. Yeah. And we were right there in the right place. Mm. And so the sapphire took off. Then we made the pearl at half the price. Yeah. And that desk was, I mean, I think possibly have sold more than, you know, sold 25,000. I mean, we've probably oh sold, God. we've probably yeah. sold a hundred used ones, you yeah. know, so, I mean, we've sold a lot of yeah. used ones at GearSource. And they work, don't they? Yeah, you know? they're and a great love, console. We'd love to be doing more with you because great I see console. this as a really important thing. We, if we look at the world as a whole global setting, yeah. you know, as to say, right, we're, we're lucky enough in some of these countries, you know, like the US and, and Europe, that they're moving forward with the technology, but we've also got technology like pearls that are yeah. still working perfectly adequately and, yeah. and controlling we still can have 14,000 personalities that run on the pearl Jesus. you know for all of these Chinese moving lights and what have you so if you find somewhere you know South America Indonesia and, and countries who say right we want something that's really simple low technology like a Land Rover that yeah. just works yeah you know it's a great console and yeah. so I think there's a lot more that we could do yeah you know, absolutely so, absolutely so this us. may be a sensitive topic but you know obviously when the pearl was in its heyday right mm -hmm. You had knockoffs that came out of China. Wow, yes. Right? Yeah. And I guess the only differentiation was the key switch, right? That you yeah. could actually, it was a different color yeah, key different, switch, right? That's right. But I mean, so. See, this is why I keep this guy around. Exactly, he knows, right? He, all knows, of this. he knows weird nerdy <laughs> shit like that that I could never remember. <laughs> no, right? I think it was the key switch mm -hmm. on, on the console, right? But and that's um, one of the ways we tell. That's right. But. I'll tell you what, once you press the buttons, mm -hmm. I know. I mean, I'll tell people, I could close my eyes, you know, like a wine tasting. Right. You could put the two consoles in front of me. I don't need to see them. Just let me touch them. The faders, the encoder, and the buttons. But, I mean, that must I have... Know. So, I mean, yeah. you know, the first of the knockoffs mm -hmm. come under the market, and you must be in a boardroom meeting going, what the F yeah. is going on That's with right. this, and how do we stop it? Because it was... 
I think it was manufactured by about two or three companies yes, out, out of there, right. and it was just yeah. kind of like it was like whack a mole, right? You yeah. go after oh, one, and yeah. another one would and pop now it's up. Probably, right? Now it's probably ten, but I'll tell you what: those ten companies distribute through probably more than a hundred companies. Yeah, right. Yeah, so that's the difficulty. That's the issue. Yeah. Um, but I'll well, on one hand, it's kind of flattering that they've copied flattering. you. But on the other hand, yeah. it's very damaging. And I'm, I'm glad to talk about it. And I'm really glad okay. you raised it, as you say, you know, sensitive subject. Because look at this. You're right. We're, we're selling like hell. You know, mm -hmm. I remember putting a statement in our brochure going, the industry's most popular console. And it was. We mm -hmm. were, couldn't make enough of those things. And people were loving them. And it, and it did exactly what it's supposed to do. And they were easy to use. People were doing great shows on them. So everything was good. Um, and there were two things happened. One is that it was so successful. So it generates the requirement mm -hmm. that people start thinking about copying. But another thing happened. I had an assistant who was from Hong Kong. And the, gov the British government were doing lots of incentive grants to travel to China and do business in the Far East. And, and I'd come from management buyout, you know, where we mm -hmm. had no money. And like, we'll take everyone, the government want to give us money. Yes, great. Right. You know, we'll take right. that. So I was going to China all the time. And we were doing great business in China. I set up distributors in China, Taiwan, Korea, all of, you know, all of my Indonesia. So I spent a lot of time out there. So not only we were really popular, we were totally monopoly in mm -hmm. China and the Far East. We were the, the console. Right. So it almost became, what else would you copy? Mm -hmm. um, and when they started copying us, I was in two minds. My partner would go like purple in the face and mm -hmm. angry. And, and I'd say, hey, Rick, man, they, you know, their people need, their kids need jobs as well. You know, you know, we're doing really well. And I'll tell you what, it's like Microsoft. They say, oh, we're losing all this software because everyone's stealing our software. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you what, you're also monopolizing the market because everybody knows your software. So when they have to buy real software, they buy yours because so, that's what they know. So we would get all the TV stations and the opera houses and, and the proper jobs. But what's got more difficult over the recent years is China's become much more flexible about what the government buys, what the mm -hmm. opera house buys, what the TV studio buys. Right. Because they're like, oh, well, everyone's doing it, so why not? And that's, that's, that's shit. That's disgusting, yeah. So we've had to really put up, we've had this key, we've, got, we've spent a I'm, lot of money on the key. I was just going to ask you that. So you did put a dongle lock or something yes, in the and, software, the consoles. And it's, and to, it's a really extreme high-level dongle lock. I mean, and, you know, it's been very sensitive because customers, you know, in a nutshell, if you're a customer, you'll come to me and say, hey, Steve, what do you mean? I'm going to pay, like, you know, whatever, $80 for this key. Or, you mm -hmm. know, it's, it's 50 pounds in the UK. Um, so... And it's exactly transferred, and it's the cost price of, of the key. You know, mm -hmm. the software has always been free. We'll continue to make it free, and I'm asking people who have a console, will you just pay the cost price of this key? And they say, why don't you pay it? I said, well, if we multiply every Titan product we've ever made, sure. it comes to about $2 million. Yeah. We just, they, we can't do that. So we have to share this burden. And they're like, well, you know, you promised me free software. And I'm saying, hey, we've spent like half a million a year, every year, giving you free software for the last 10 years, and we will keep doing that. But one time I'm going to ask you to buy the key. And I'll tell you what, as a friend, we spent £200,000 on licensing that key, on the, being allowed to license that key, and we've got two software engineers working on the project. So right. I'm telling you, I've, we have invested a lot to, to make that key. But the key part of it, you're going to have to help us out with. And 95 98% of people have been really cool about it. And when they hear the whole story, mm -hmm. the normally the other 2% are, are cool too. Well, that, cool. that, uh, the counterfeit product thing is, is not going away quickly. It's, it's, it's very damaging in our industry. It's even more so in a lot of other industries, you know, yeah. where, you know, I remember when, you know, shoes, you could, in Korea, you could buy Nike shoes for, let's say, $40 or Nike copies that are also made in Korea, probably in the same factory yeah. for like, you know, $5 yeah. or whatever. Yeah. You know, 
these things aren't going away anytime soon. So you do have to protect yourselves. And and that's right. The government won't help. I mean, we've yeah. done we've done all sorts of things. We've raided factories. We've we've done all sorts of things where you try to work with the yeah. government or the mm-hmm. courts. But I mean, whatever you know, money changes hands. Nothing happens. Right. So a, a couple of things on products. So again, the Sapphire console that I saw last night, which I personally hadn't seen before. Wow. Wow. I don't know why. Okay. But um, one of the things I noticed is you have faders at the top. Yes. And, and uh, not everyone has faders at the top, no, do they, above the screens? Wow. That's such a tricky question to answer. Yeah. Um, yes, it has faders at the top. Uh, we, we have had a history of lots of playbacks. Lots of live control means you need lots of playbacks. Yes, yeah. yes we do time code. There's lots of time code shows going. There's more and more time code. Uh, queue stacking, hog made queue stacking, so popular. And so, and I have to say, we sort of lagged behind on our, our level of ability in queue stacking. That's one of the things that, that didn't help us. So in terms of, we kept control of the live market very well because we had so many playbacks and so many buttons, but the larger shows went to queue lists and mm-hmm. because they were much more scripted, they're big signed off shows right. and the industry sort of moved like that. So anyway, we did a lot of work on that, caught up over, over the period, but historically our users expect a lot of faders. So the Sapphire, you're right, has got a lot of faders on the top. But you have to remember that the Sapphire has now been out for maybe nine or 10 years. So it's Jesus. been in design before that. Shows how lost it's, I am. Yeah, no, it's, <laughs> you know, and there, there's a lot, you know, we do, we sell a lot in uh, Far East, a lot in Japan. Yeah. Um, and you're right, you know, America, we do a lot in the mid-range with the arena, the, the quartz has been yeah. a really big seller. Yeah. But because of the, the sort of polarization of the market, both in media servers and mm-hmm. in consoles, right. which I think the, market, the industry has never been as polarized as it is now. And yeah. I think that's largely, to me, is a lot about financial reasons, is that, you know, when they said no one was shot for buying, you know, no one gets fired for buying an IBM. Right. You know, you buy what everyone else is buying and you can't get blamed if it goes wrong yeah, or it wasn't the right true. choice. So it's, it's, it's sometimes it's hard to change those paradigms. Yeah. Um, but something we're really proud of is a number of our features are turning up in other consoles and it's the designers who come up and tell me and say, Steve, have you seen this? Your keyframe shapes is in that console and, yeah. and I'm super proud. And, and, and I say, you know what? It doesn't matter which side you support, you know, whichever console you're buying. As long as we're all developing features, yeah. then we all of us keep pushing forward. So everybody wins, well, whichever side. For you, you too, your passion and your relationships with people and how much you just love those people and, and uh, work closely with them and stuff. I, you know, I know there are AVO people that won't use any other console. It doesn't matter what features go into that console, and that's because of... We have Steve. some great, no, wait, no, we have, we have some live features. That's what I've come to realize from the yeah. users. They're the ones who say, wow. And, and I know enough people who program on the other very dominant console, the German console, and right. people who program on mine. And they say, look, you know, yes, they can do this and this, and you need to fix, you get this sorted out, you know, because you could do this better. Oh, but if I've got, if the door's opening and I've got to program a show like really quickly, I go to the AVO. Right. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and, excuse me. And that's what, nice. I, that's what I hear. And so the, I think the, the knack, the, the magic, if you like, is going to be keeping that, that speed of programming, that's, that intuitive way of working, yeah. and keep increasing the functionality. Yeah. But because, and I, and I know, in fact, as we were talking yesterday, and I, don't, you know, I wouldn't say, but it's up to the designers to go and see what features are turning up where. But, right. but two super popular features have turned up in other consoles. So they know that, okay, this is interesting. Avalites have come up with this stuff. Because you have to remember, we came up with something called the graphics tablet back in the days of the mm-hmm. Pearl. Yeah. Now, that was the, you know, it was the first way of writing things down like a gobo pattern or, or a, you know, drawing an icon for a focus mm-hmm. and saving that into a button. And it was on a graphics, you know, like a, a mm-hmm. Wacom tablet. 
And so that was, a, you know, one of the very first before anyone started with touch right. screens or any of the rest of it, you know. Yeah. So we have Cutting this edge. sort of history yeah. of innovation that we'll keep repeating. Well, and that secret room that you yeah. saw, man, you know, when you talk about the faders on the top, um, I was uncomfortable about the aspect ratio of that console because I think it's very tall. Yeah. And, and so if we were to do another console and, if, you know, and launch it somewhere, yeah. then, yeah, we would have a different aspect ratio. Right. Yeah, so, I mean, obviously we can't talk much about it, but it is exciting to see that you are attacking the top end of the market yes. in a pretty big way. Mm -hmm. And um, not that either one of us is, is a lighting director or a, a programmer or a board op or anything, but very impressive looking oh. stuff. And to see the faces of the people coming into that room, that, yeah, that'll, be, yeah. that'll be with me for forever, I think. Yeah. The, aesthetics, the aesthetics of that wow. console, the, the ergonomics, lovely. oh my word. There's some wow people stuff going on there. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, We're excited. They're excited. So um, we look forward to seeing that maybe next year. Mm -hmm. And um, so getting out of product a little bit or out of your product anyways, um, yeah, the audience might have turned off by now. Gone to make no, 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 not at all. No, I think everybody's pretty interested <laughs> in your They're glued story to their seats. and the Avo story. It's been, you know, really interesting hearing it. But um, in your eyes, how how has the industry changed the most? Like, if you look at the beginning of your career and how and why you did things, and how and why other people did things, you know, has the how or why changed immensely? Oh. And, um, you know, what are some of the changes that you see, both positive and negative? Yeah, and I, th and I think that's, to me, that is the key thing, is that changes are positive and negative. Correct. Um, you know, because, and again, you know, if with our age or experience or whatever you want to say, then quite often you're in groups of people, whether you're drinking, whether you're on the bus and, and hanging right. out and chatting. Um, and people go, oh, it's not like this. Or Glastonbury is not the way it was. You know, I remember how it was. And it was so much fun. You didn't need all these passes to get in. You could blag your way into anywhere or whatever. Right. All the things that change. Um, and I said, guys, hey, you know, hey, nothing stays the same. So let, let's get real for, for a bit. Um, but also, it doesn't stay the same for many reasons. Because, hey, maybe if Glastonbury stayed like that, um, you know, people would fall off stages. And people who are off their faces, you know, yeah. I worry when I saw some of my friends and when I knew what was running around oh, inside yeah. their bloodstreams. And they're unrigging stuff and they're climbing stuff. Whoa. Yeah. So... Hey, but here by the grace of God, and, and you know, mm -hmm. and people are, we all know very committed people who are very good at their jobs, yeah. and it's amazing how little things went wrong. People didn't fall off stages, things didn't fall over, you know, PAs didn't fall it's off. It's amazing things. we haven't killed ourselves yeah, exactly. ourselves more than we really have. Else. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, but I think it's a question of sustainability. You're, you're unable to grow that by lots more shows in lots more places because now we're in shopping malls doing a fashion show or a big wedding. Mm -hmm. You know, people didn't have lighting rigs. I mean, I, I recently did a job with 32 Christie projectors doing an immersive projection for a wedding. I mean, you That's know, insane. massive. Right. So if you're going to have these jobs multiplying in all sorts of sectors and so lots more of them and it's out of control in terms of safety and regulation and... It's, it's unsustainable because people are going to, things are going to go wrong. People are going to get killed. And so, yeah. so when people complain about the levels of regulation, yes, it is frustrating. We got away with murder, didn't we? You know, yeah, it was all, sure if, as long as you knew someone on the crew, you'd get into whatever and yeah. you could sit where you mm -hmm. like. And, but hey, it's just, it's a, a cost of the fact that our industry has boomed and let's all be happy it's really boomed. Yeah, we needed mm -hmm. some structure it. though. Yeah, so we needed some that structure. That part's been good. I think the integration to me, as we said, you know, it's really clear from the direction Avalides has taken that 
integration is, is such a, a core value, if you want to say. It's, mm -hmm. it's just a driver. I mean, I, get, I really get excited about it. And I, I get really excited. One of the things I'm doing now, people say, well, what do you do now? You know, if you're not the sales director anymore, you used to be sales director for years, what is your job? Um, because Koi, so I passed that over to Koi. I'd worked with Koi for many years, and I, get, you know, I wanted him to be that, that sales director. And so people say, what do you do? And I say, you know what? You, know, you get involved in all the meetings and the design. I help set up the design team. Um, to me, the design team is critical. People say, what happened? How come your, your development was going slowly and you, that seemed to be restricting you and now your development's going like hell and you're surprising people? What, what happened? Um, well, what happened is we changed the, the head of the software department um, you know, and I was saying thing, it was just a difference of opinion. Uh, we'd always been sort of guided by one person, and when mm -hmm. that one person really understands the task, you can move really fast and really well. But as the task gets more and more complicated, I'm very convinced that you need to work with a much larger team, with right. people bringing different inputs. And I so agree with you on we that. changed our structure from having one person in charge of all the design to working as a big design team. So, and that's really made a massive change. One, one thought that just came to mind. Um, Correct me if I'm wrong, but I thought it was Soundcraft that brought out an audio console with a DMX lighting controller yes, in it. Yes. So when you saw that, I'm sure you've had time to evaluate mm -hmm. that. Were you sitting there going, because, you know, we all know where this is going, right? Mm -hmm. Audio and video yes, and lighting are yeah, all kind of, right. mm, kind of together. spooched <laughs> together, right? Yeah. So did that cause any topics of discussion yeah. in your company going, this might not it's be bad be because I mean the Brits do the best digital audio consoles. There's some good so, ones out there, aren't you know, there? That's right. Digico and you know, so. and they're big, aren't they? That's yeah. right. We're friends with Digico. We want to remain friends with you, uh, Webby and <laughs> yes. James and all you guys. Yeah. No, so I mean, what um, it, but it's what a very the, good point. Yeah, um, and it was a bit of a you know I don't know if I want to say hairs on the back of my neck or clenching mm -hmm. somewhere down below. You know, yeah. going oh hell, what's this about? These are mm -hmm. big yeah. players are coming into our area. This is very nervous. Um, but you're right, it was one DMX, one DMX line, and I don't know what made them stop. They seem to have stopped the development. I don't know if things are going on in the back room. We had a Chinese company come to us, and their mission was to bring a sound and lighting console, and they wanted to buy us to make that happen. And we really, at the beginning, were trying to be really straight with them, going, it doesn't matter who you buy. That's not going to happen, yeah. you know. But or see, not uh, at least not in the in the foreseeable future. And I think there's good reasons for that. Um, but looking at what they were doing, they'd come out with something in such infancy mm -hmm. that if you wanted to do some ambient lighting around the room, so if you had an audio thing and you just maybe wanted to have some uplighters controlled right. in a static color, then actually it would probably do that quite well. Mm -hmm. But what we call a lighting show, a lighting control, was not what they were offering. And I think maybe when they looked at the... And they probably did some, what do you call it, due diligence mm -hmm. to say, right, how long would it take us to get to the level of MA or HOG or Avalides or JANs? Or, and then when they heard, well, five or six years to really think about being in the game, you know, and other people have tried who we know, you know, there's other consoles out mm -hmm. there, right. you know, who said you should work with us and we didn't. And so they went and made their own console. And that's been out for about eight years. Um, but it's hard to get established, you know, right. really hard to get a console established. And everyone yeah. will find their market if they keep staying with it but it's a eight ten year sort of game to get to any sort of maturity mm -hmm. so i think you know unless the sound companies have the the uh, the will to to spend that eight to ten years then the, i think that's not such an issue something i would like to mention though um one of the things i'm really proud of is this association with pioneer which you probably mm -hmm. don't know um which is a pioneer pro dj have chosen four video companies. Uh, we're one of them. Uh, it, uh, it's Avalides, Green Hippo, Archaos, and Resolume are the four video companies that 
Pioneer Pro DJ have partnered up with officially with press release and everything, but there's only one lighting company they've partnered up with, and that's us. And, and we're oh, super, super chuffed about that's that. That's cool. So what's going to happen is you're going to see in the near future that if you're running those Pioneer CDJs mm -hmm. up uh, on the DJ mixers, you're going to be getting the audio waveform straight into the lighting console. You'll right. be able to see where the drops are coming up. Yeah, we saw that demo EPM. at uh, at Infocom, right. and okay. we actually had, uh, what was that guy's name? Puss Layer. Pussy Layer. Pussy Layer. Pussy, Pussy, Pussy no. Layer. What was his first name? No, God damn, I, I forget his name. Guy. Like <laughs> Ivan. Hold on. No. Uh, Pussy Slayer or something. I mean, he had the craziest last name. We were like, we were so in awe, you know? Uh, of his Jesus, name. I might change my name. I forget his first name. <laughs> but anyways, yeah, they, they had that demo they set up in a that. demo room okay. at, uh, at Infocom, and they were showing how that all worked, where, you could, really where you could visually see what was coming what's up. coming up. Yeah, and, and so that was incredible. what about to have that in your lighting desk if you're up there doing the lights, right. knowing what's coming up? And also to be able to use that BPM as a heartbeat. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So everything's on totally... Yeah. In sync. Cone de Puss Layer. Yeah. Cohen, Cohen de, de Pussy, pussy Layer. <laughs> <laughs> I like this guy already. Yeah. No kidding. I'm huh? podcast. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. That was a good one. So, um, you know, being that you are a uh, an MBO management buyout company where, you know, probably like us and other small businesses, every once in a while you go, God, I wish I had another you know, $50 million that I could do this or that. Um, our industry, one of the biggest changes that I've seen and that I talk about constantly in our industry is, you know, the, the influx of massive private equity money, public money. Um, companies all around us have gotten larger. And in some sense, you need to get larger as well, or else you either get bullied by them you get backed into a corner, you, you maybe just lose because you can't keep up with either their level of innovation or their level of need or whatever it is. And some other larger company is capable of doing that. But do you feel pressure to like bring in private equity to grow at a, a faster clip or to be able to support a bigger industry or a bigger play? Do you ever feel that kind of pressure? First, I want to answer that question by, wow, I wish the audience could see, you know, the three of us here and like the sweat mm -hmm. on my yeah, face. Thinking, yeah. Where does he come up with these questions? Man? Yeah. That's a really good question. <laughs> um, because, yeah, that's the reality. It uh, is. What's happening. And Companies around us keep getting larger. Like I remember yeah. when a big moving light company used to be 100 million. You know, now they're much larger yes, than that. Right. Now the average moving light company is a $100, 150000000 million dollar company. Yeah. And... Um, Rental companies, right. you and know, then you've got you've got billion dollar rental companies yeah. now, yeah. billion yeah. dollar rental companies, and a couple of them, it, yeah. not just would, one, yeah. a couple of them, you know. Seen that so, um, but I think it is. It's you know, in many ways, and I, I mean, in some ways, I think, no, oh, Steve, just let him talk, and maybe the question will go away. Exactly right. I'm also sitting here thinking, oh, maybe I can come up with some sort of bullshit answer that everyone will believe. <laughs> How um, can I sound smart? But I, I could also just go with going, well, you could just tell what's in your head, which yeah. you think is the truth. You go, yeah, but that might not suit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But what I see is the truth. I think, damn you, I think you're right. You know, yeah. I think it is just going to go more and more like that, where you become a subset of an org larger organization. Yeah. Um, so I do feel exposed. Um, on the on the flip side, it allows you uh, freedom and, and the fact mm -hmm. that we can work with. There's so many moving light companies out there. Yeah. We can work with all of them because yeah. we're not right. owned by anybody. 
Yep, well, and, so and no by the way, to take a little bit of the heat off of mm-hmm. you, because mm-hmm. I do see you sweating a bit. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we feel the same pressure in our own company right. in GearSource. Right. And, you know, I, I'm constantly losing sleep over the idea that, like, we're always being approached to be bought out by a big rental company or a big uh, conglomerate or whatever. Some manufacturers have talked to us. And, you know, I want to remain independent, but at the same time, we need to become larger. We need a larger platform from which to operate so that we can better support. Economies of scale. We we need to, I mean, there's large rental companies that instead of needing to move $1 million in used equipment, now they need to move $20 million. And that's a whole different platform for us. And, and, you know, a million dollars more for software here, half a million over here, another 12 staff. You know, these are all costs that are very difficult to absorb when you haven't ever raised capital. And, you know, maybe you don't have huge credit lines available to you or whatever. And so. I think that's right. And, I, and to me, I suppose this is where the positive always try and sort of look on, on the upside and sort of stay, you know, look for the opportunities rather than just be sort of worried. Because, yes, yeah. let's all look at the things that might damage us or restrict us. Yeah. But let's also look on oh, mm-hmm. the fact that, yes, if we can work with bigger groups, economies of scale, the synergies yeah. that you have within that. Um, and I do think that's the way it's going. So yeah. I think I'm very, so when I say that there's benefits to being independent, I've been proud to have been independent up to this point. And we've had a number of different approaches by different people yeah. in the industry. And we've, we've chosen to, to be where we are and be independent at this yeah. point. However, are we going to be like that in 10 years? I'd be surprised. I, because well, I the think video business, the, the video the business is a big one. You point out the yeah. reasons that when you work with a big group, the things that you can then access and mm-hmm. yeah. distribution chains and manufacturing and so on. Yeah. Um, and so then really, I think the secret or the magic is going to be same for your company, same for ours, is, is keeping your, your ethics and your values and the fun of it. Of and course, the fun of it, yeah. And keeping that identity within. So the fact that if there is a larger group owning the stock, nobody really cares as long as the people are on the phone are still pick up the phone on a weekend yeah. and talk to you they're yeah. still there for you it's still the same you know they can trust you that's what matters well, there are a lot of big corporations now like you know apple maybe has become a little more evil a little less friendly than no, they used to I be used but i love them so much yeah but you know there's big used corporations to. out there multi-billion dollar corporations out there that still act like small passionate entrepreneurial yeah. companies so there is a path to follow, and, and uh, yeah. One, one funny story about uh, getting venture capital in a business. I worked for a company, and it will be one of my prior bless employees, bless right? But I remember the venture capital company came in, and um, on your expense reports, there was a no-sushi policy. Specifically, <laughs> right? Because sushi was expensive at the time. Well, I also remember another rule they put in. But, yes, which you're the one. That, you're a, the one that's responsible. There for was that a one. strip club maximum <laughs> that they had put in, and but it was allowed. But and not it the depended sushi. how many people were with you and who those people were. Yeah. But there was a limit on the total bill for a strip club, and I think it was eight hundred dollars, wasn't it? No, wow. it was not. That night was like what? No, no. But the night? new limit that they put on was like oh, yeah, eight hundred dollars or something. Yeah, yeah. Right. No, I'm not talking about the nights yeah. that led us to that point. Oh, exactly. You know, I'm talking about that that rule that was placed. But boys and, and girls, how come the sushi was banned, but the strip clubs are allowed? <laughs> that's <laughs> why. That's why I'm blown the away by. Sushi came after because you got after you you know after your ten minutes in the strip club for eight hundred dollars, then you had to go to the sushi, sushi bar after. Bar. Well, yeah, and and we had a way that the sushi bar would pay a larger tab yeah, at the strip club. Right. You know, we had a little vig kind of deal worked out you know a little crooked uh, <laughs> sketchy sketchy dodgy deal that we worked out what was the tab out. on that night it was like 13,000 oh, I, I don't want to talk about it <laughs> right. I don't want to talk about and it and somehow that's where the corporations need to go you're bringing in the money 
the numbers are working out. Yeah. You have your own rules and your ways of doing things. Let's just let the guys do what they're doing. Well, you, the you know who's one of the greatest? Doing, one know? of the greatest is, uh, is Gordon with his uh, Elvis visa. You know, I'm sure you've hit Gordon Addison's Elvis visa a few times. <laughs> I've been out a few nights with him where he's like, let's bring out Elvis. <laughs> yeah, Elvis, oh Elvis got hit Terrible. hard in Vegas a few times with Gordon. There have been a few, there have been a few times where Gordon has, has destroyed following day meetings. Oh, Gordon is an animal. He is an animal. He's a beast. He's good at what he does. Well, and, uh, you know, we all have had we to slow it, down yeah, a little bit. We love bit. him and we want him to slow down, Gordon. <clears throat> if you're listening, slow down. <laughs> Gordon, we please, love you. please slow down. <laughs> so, Steve, I, I know you got to get to your booth, but anything we've missed, anything you want to bring up that we haven't talked about? Oh, wow. You know, I tried to cover as much as I could. You know, you guys have been absolute gentlemen because these these guys, you know, they were speaking to me yesterday about, oh, you know, these crazy stories and rock and roll stories. And I think, okay, wow, stories where no one got to jail and yeah. no marriages were wrecked and uh, nobody's, you know, was inappropriate. Well, I can't, I can't promise you any of that stuff's so true. So much stuff came <laughs> off the list. You yeah. know, and you think, well, because, you know, things go on and what happened. Yeah. And then you think, wow, but, you know, you yourself, I thought there's no, no harm in humiliating yourself. You know, you can talk about some of the things. Of you course. did, and I think yeah. you know some things that people remind me. I like to, I suppose, I like to shake it up a bit, you know. Mm -hmm. And I think this is where, as the as you say, as the industry becomes more corporate, bigger, less things that you're allowed to do. Yeah. And so people start start taking the safe option. Um, in some ways, I, I would like to think that because you're older, and it's almost like, hey, what are you going to do? Fire me? Who cares? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, I'm almost done. You yeah. know. So then you can use that to start taking yeah. the piss, as we would say so in England. So where's the good story more. then? Come on. And to me, the taking the piss comes from like we started doing the plaza parties that we got very well known for and i'd be very keen to start them again so watch yeah. this space good but we we ran the plaza parties and then we started dressing up you know because we do a lot of festivals and you dress up for the festivals and yeah. i remember a girlfriend time making me like a skirt of roses and hmm, it felt quite good for some reason <laughs> so yeah i thought hey I'll, I'll wear a skirt of roses yeah. why not you know so the next year, I decided we were going to have a rock to opera, which, of course, was always our, our thing, wasn't yeah. it? Able Eyes from mm -hmm. rock to yeah. opera. So we're going to have a rock to opera theme. And you could come as rock. You could come as Slash. You could come as, you know, somebody in the theater or yeah. Queen Anne or whatever you like. And so there I was, you know, and I remember getting up on the stage and, I, and I had to, I'd gone out and rented this beautiful Amadeus mm -hmm. suit, you know, Mozart suit. And I thought, yeah, you know, I'm going to come in. This is my, my opera stage. And... And then disappeared off the stage, you know, at about midnight and then came back with the gold tits and Madonna and oh, just now with the high heels. Oh, my God. The stockings. And uh, I have to say that outfit's been out at a few festivals since. And, oh, my and guys goodness. out there, you might want to try that from time to time. <laughs> you <laughs> shared some pictures last night with us well, of you know uh, the Burning Man tell stuff. You, as a happily, well, not happily married, but, you know, maybe happily married again in the future, you know, yeah. whatever. Um, there is, it's, it just shakes people up. You know what I find really funny when you go around a festival site? You can walk around dressed as a banana. Nobody even turns around and looks. <laughs> right. But if you wear the clothes that the other half of the world are wearing, yeah. everyone who goes is like, you can't do that. And you're like, oh, I just love walking into a venue and just shaking it up. You know? Yeah. Like, and just, and so I've been sort of pushing that theme more and more. And, That's and hilarious. I would encourage people just to, to just take a few more risks. As long as you're not being rude to anyone, you're not hurting anyone, you're having fun, and the, the, the reason you're doing it is just to make people smile, then yeah. you should do it, you know? But um, you wouldn't be, Steve, if you didn't 
do that stuff. Yeah. I mean, you know, we expect the unexpected <laughs> from you. I can promise you that. But, you know, and maybe not to finish on the, f on the fishnet. So I have to say, you know, people ask you about your sort of like your top moment in this industry, all the different things that have happened. You think, okay, when was the, if you had to choose one moment or your gravestone moment, you know, yeah. like, what is it? And, and to me, you think, wow, all the different things you've done. You've done so many festivals. You've only done Burning Man once. It was really interesting. You met all some really cool people. But to me, the experience I had at Burning Man, and, and it's funny because that, that sentence so often you mm -hmm. hear that, and you're like, oh, yawn, okay, I'm going to go make a cup of tea now, you know. Um, but I had such a lucky experience there because we'd been out partying all night, we're dancing, what have you, we'd gone back to the RV, you know, ready to collapse. And I'll never forget the phone call, you know, where the guys from Arcadia, they called me through. And, and normally phones don't work, but you know, I think everyone's still sleeping at nine, you know, 10 or 11 o'clock in the morning yeah. at Burning Man, the phone goes off. And it's the Arcadia guys, and they're going, uh, Steve, uh, I hear you're at Burning Man. And you're like, why? <laughs> <laughs> and it turns out that their LD lost his passport um, and missed the flight and then got an emergency passport, and that hadn't come through in time. So he missed the second flight. Oh, no. So they've got an entire rig for Carl Cox. They've got Carl Cox rig, and it's all there, and it's all set, you know, been delivered by PRG, and, but we don't have a programmer or an oh, LD. no. Could you? And I'm like, yeah, of course we can, man. And we just got on our bikes, literally on our big fat, <laughs> fat tire, tire bikes, bikes. Yes. and we cycled over there. We were there for no a day. No way. We were there for a day and a oh half. Oh, my God, that's amazing. A day and a amazing. half in front of house. And I get goosebumps because I don't get the chance to go out and do what my heroes do. My heroes yeah. are the people who stand behind the desk and program that stuff. And I don't really understand how they do it anymore, but it's amazing. Yeah. And I had loads of tech support from the guys back, back in the, the factory, you know, and you're calling them up going, hey, this is happening now. What do I do now? And yeah. he's, okay, try this, try this. Okay, wow. And between me and the technicians by face there, time. because there were some technicians <laughs> yeah. there, you know, the regular, the yeah. lampies, and us as a group. And it was such a, a Burning Man thing to think we're in the desert. There's no one else to help you. You either fix this or it doesn't happen. That is and amazing. And we just made it happen. And I have to so say that cool. was a joyous awesome. moment. That's for, so you know? cool. So, Good for you. Well, and plus you were probably wow. the first like board op in feather boas and stuff, yes. right? Yeah. <laughs> Dressed for the occasion. <laughs> yeah, that's hysterical. Yeah, that's great. Well, Steve, yeah. thank you so oh, much man. for doing it's this, man. such a privilege. We you appreciate you, you, first of all, agreeing to do it and then sitting here and talking to us for an hour and a half, an hour and a half on the first morning of the show. Wow. And, you know, I see your phone keeps lighting yeah, up. Your yeah. booth is no, probably on fire and, exactly. you know, consoles yeah. haven't arrived and all wow. kinds of crazy stuff happening. But but I would leave with, you know, I love talking to people and I would encourage people, come and meet us, come and talk to us. Yeah. You know, we can talk about all sorts of other things and come to Splinter. It'd be great to yeah, see you Yeah, definitely there, check you know? out that Splinter so thing. Happy to, it was fun. Well, just to meet the team. I'm not saying, you yeah. know, pumping it as a thing, but that's where we are. Um, this first year, we're not in the show floor. Right. In future years, I'd like to be in the show floor and be doing cool things outside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's see how that goes. Yeah. Perfect. Awesome. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you so much. much, buddy. Can you eat it?
sweet, sweet thing. You never buy, but you all.